have been sacrificing our education to protest against your inaction. Ask the EU to stop caging animals. To reconcile the economy with our planet. Set a timeline for fossil fuel phase-out. To master the challenges of the digital age. None of the European nations will be part of the GA. It is about where we want to go and who we want to be. Hello there, welcome to Citizen Central, a podcast series all about the first transnational democracy instrument in the world, the European Citizens Initiative. Brought about back in the Lisbon Treaty, the ECI gives people the chance to pitch their own EU policies to the European Commission by gathering one million signatures from seven EU states. My name is Maeve McMahon, I'm an Irish reporter in Brussels, and on Citizen Central, I'll be finding out what exactly the ECI is, how you can launch or support one, and what drives people to give up their time and energy for a cause they care deeply about. Despite a finning ban coming in a couple of years ago, shark finning still occurs in the EU, and it's something our next guest is determined to end. Niels, can you tell us how you ended up setting up this ECI? And what's it all about? My name is Niels Kluger. I'm the spokesperson of the ECI Stop Finning, Stop the Trade. And our goal is to end the trade with shark fins within the EU. I'm a diver myself. And during diving, you realize how endangered our oceans are. And that's why I started to engage in marine conservation. And one big, big part of marine conservation is caring about the marine ecosystem and how it's structured. Once you do that, you realize that sharks play a vital role in the marine ecosystems. And that's how I got engaged with NGOs in, in marine conservation. Yeah, and finally ended up building up the group that's behind uh, this European Citizens Initiative. And what would happen to the marine ecosystem if there were no more sharks? You know that you can just transfer that onto land and you can compare that maybe to the to the Serengeti, where you have also food chains. And very, very simply said, the food chain works from the lower level uh, animals up to the highest level. And if you compare the oceans to the Serengeti, you have a lot of gnus, antelopes running around there. And then you have the bigger animals like lions eating the mammals. And if you put out the lions, you will have a bunch of antelopes eating off all the grass and that will be desert within months. Food chains are way more complicated. But one thing is true for the ocean, the shark is the one animal that eats everything else. So if you put that away, the whole ecosystem is put into tremendous danger. Tourism and of course diving had to be stopped in many cases because of COVID. Who else is supporting your ECI? We had to move our strategy a bit away from the diver target group. There's people caring about what they eat. This is a very good target group because since the fins naturally attached regulation was put in place in Europe, shark finning is not allowed anymore. They have to land the sharks with the fins naturally attached to the body. But what happened is they started to search for a market for shark meat. So right now, more and more people in Europe started to eat shark meat, sometimes without even knowing, to maintain the business. And this is something that really raises interest in in, in people who care about what they eat. They don't want to eat mercury-poisoned shark meat. 
for a shark fin business that they also don't want to have. And what would you say to people that eat shark fins as a cultural habit? Anywhere in life, you have a hard time if you start fighting culture. I would like to tell them, please rethink your cultural implications as your population has grown significantly since that culture was established. And this is not working healthy anymore for the oceans. We're just too many. And tell us, what kind of reactions has your ECI been getting? Everyone that I have been telling that EU nations are still among the top shark catching nations in the world. People understand what the problem is, and I have rarely seen anybody not signing the initiative. We as Europeans cannot only point our fingers towards Asia, where shark fin soup is consumed, while we are hands open for the cash that we're getting out of this business. We have to clean our own back door and stop profiting. As long as we're profiting from it, we can't say anything about it. Sharks are 500 species. Not all of them are endangered. So first of all, it's very hard if you see a shark fin, is it a protected species or not? That's hard to tell. There are just too many species and protecting one by one, once they are endangered, is not the right way to do it. Especially as long as shark fin trade remains allowed and you can just mix species in a shark fin cargo. No one can tell what species are in there. They're just labeled as shark fin. So Niels, what is the plan to hit those one million signatures? We're working very, very much with, with partner organizations, but still the topic really has problems to get attention in the broader media. Wherever we made it to the media, people are convinced about the initiative. If I should pitch them, I, I would tell them, do you really know that hundreds of sharks are killed every single minute for shark fin soup and that Europe is one of the major players in this business, we have to end that. Okay, Niels, thank you so much for being with us on Citizen Central. Thanks for having me. Well, next we can head to the Netherlands to meet a true shark expert, a marine biologist that dedicated over 15 years of her life to protecting sharks. Irena Kingma, thank you so much for joining us on Citizen Central. Thank you. Tell us, in what state is the shark population in the EU? Not so good. There was a worldwide, was a worldwide review of uh, the status of all biodiversity and wildlife. It was from the World Conservation Union. That's the red list species are critically endangered. And it turns out that 40% are threatened with, uh, with extinction. So they're not doing well, unfortunately. So if that's the state of our sharks, in what state are our laws? In Europe, we use a system of quota, and that's an uh, economics-based system. When they started doing that about 30, 40 years ago, it was, you know, France has always caused this much of cold and this much of headache, so you get 20% of the catch. It was based on economics, because fisheries is an, is an economic discipline in the classic EU thinking. And what I didn't do is do that also for the bycatch species. And that's where your sharks are. They have just no limits attached to them. So there was no handle on limiting the amount of sharks and rays that came out of the ocean. And that's the main issue still, because some species now have a limit. For example, all the ray species, they have a limit. And you see actually those uh, populations climbing again, and they're actually improving. But for many shark species, there are still no limits on the amount taken from the ocean. For example, here in Northern Europe, you have the taupe shark, a really a, a proper shark. It can grow up to two meters, you know, it's, it's gray, it's oblong. It, there's no limit on them. It's just on paper, if I, if I look at this shark, it is an endangered species, but there's no management on it whatsoever. So you can just land it, sell it, throw it overboard, kill it, whatever. You can do what you want with that animal. But if you catch a basking shark, the biggest fish we have in Europe, you can grow up to 11 meters. And those have very strict protection there on the Convention of Migratory Species. These are all 
legislative, international legislation because this fish migrates all around the world. Immediately you have to throw it back. Hopefully it's still alive then. And that's the, the difference if you have some form of management on them or not. And can you tell us what exactly happens when an apex predator disappears from an ecosystem? Well, you know, the ocean will always find a new balance, but what happens is that's going to be a balance of a lower diversity. I mean, the sharks are the main top predators, so they sort of regulate the species below them. And if you take the top predator away, you get the thing just below that will increase. Is the solution then just to quit fish? I mean, should we not be screaming louder about the state of our oceans? That's not my choice. My choice is to stick here in Europe, go to every meeting, talk to people, try to get this legislation through that works. And, you know, also keep the conversation going because in the end, humans have to solve this. And humans are also fishermen and humans are also politicians. So it's not just I'm going to only work with this this sample of the human population. If you look at it holistically, we have the, the climate uh, crisis, the biodiversity crisis, everything coming together. But we also have the EU Green Deal now. Of course, an incredible strong lobbying force from agriculture, from fisheries to, to water everything down. But it's there. It's giving us an opportunity to make a strong EU-wide statement of the world we want to be want to be living in. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us on Citizen Central. Thank you. Once sharks are gone, they take a long time to replenish in the oceans. And that's part of the story of our next guest, Alessandro de Magdalena, a marine biologist from Italy and a true shark appassionato, that in order to continue studying sharks, had to leave Europe and move to South Africa, as there are so few sharks left in the Mediterranean. I started to work here uh, in 2010. I really wanted to work with sharks without the problems that we have uh, in uh, Europe uh, and uh, in Italy in particular, you know. Some specialists actually used to say that uh, as humans, we should uh, catch and eat more sharks because they are a good resource of meat uh, and there is plenty in the ocean. Just a few decades after that, we are facing a dramatic decrease all over the world. Because there are so many people, there is too many fishing vessels and also fishing gear that destroy the environment. But we must think that there are different kinds of fishermen. There are fishermen that just go out with their little boat and fish for the day. And there are huge fishing vessels that destroy the ocean in a much, much wider sense, you know, turning the ocean into a desert. There is a lot of talk about the importance of the animals, the food chain, the ecosystem. That's something I read somewhere, sometime in a book, but doesn't apply when I go to the restaurant or when I'm cooking or when I go to the supermarket, you know? Somebody say, I never eaten a shark in my life. In most cases, you know, it's not true because yes, they eaten a shark, but they just didn't know. Pet food, for example, or in cosmetics, you know. Now, taking care of nature can take so many shapes, especially in our cities. And that's exactly what our next guest is trying to achieve. First, Almog, please tell us about yourself and your ECI. My full name is Almog Ioana Sadeh. 
I'm half German and half Israeli. Education-wise, I have a double bachelor degree in business administration and accounting and a master degree in physical economics, which I graduated from the Netherlands, Maastricht. Together with my brother, we created this initiative, which called namely Green Garden Rooftops. In order to do so, we gathered six of our friends from six different EU countries to hand in and apply for an ECI. Wow. So you're proof that the ECI can just be citizen-led, yourself and your brother. What a great story. Tell us more about why you decided to take on this project together as siblings. We thought about this idea during the lockdown from the pandemic period. We care about the environment, nature, and by doing so, we care about our future. And uh, we said, yeah, how can we contribute? How can we improve our environment current situation? From there came this idea that we can make cities greener. And then we thought about this, that we have so many unused space existing on rooftops. And how nice uh, could it be with green environment, not only look looking good, but contributing and supporting the environment condition. Oh, wow, what an amazing lockdown <laughs> idea, because we've seen, of course, with this pandemic, a massive mental health crisis as well. So I guess with this ECI, you're trying to contribute to that too. Exactly, yeah. We When we thought about this idea, when, we, when I start writing this uh, initiative on paper, we said, yeah, the goal is indeed to support the environment, but we took into consideration all the other factors that are relevant here. So first, the economic interest inside it, of course, the government in this situation, and of course, the citizen, ourselves as human beings. Uh, Mark, how did you find out about the ECI? I discover it through social media, the social media platform of the EU. I never heard about it before, so I was reading about it a bit and uh, then I found it a great possibility to take this idea and to make it a reality. Great, and that's when you started calling your friends from different EU member states and making sure that they would come on board. And how did they react initially when you invited them on board with this ECI project? When I did the research about the ECI, I saw that, yeah, you need a group of six citizens uh, around the European member states. So, of course, it wasn't an easy task to gather uh, six people that are going to be available for it. But when I explained the initiative and what it could do for our future, they all were on board and they were super uh, supportive. And how has the journey since been? What's it been like trying to turn six into one million signatures? We started collecting signatures since the 26th of May. But I can say uh, we are very happy and it's encouraged us to see that people have an interest, that people agree and say, yes, it's a great idea. Indeed, the cities could be greener. Uh, we see the climate change. We see the global warming. It could be a great uh, environmental benefit. And what we are learning in this process as well, in order to make a change, and even in this case, to make a regulation in the EU, to make uh, a greener Europe, we need to work together. Okay, well, let's look into a little bit more into the details of the ECI itself. So what exactly are you asking? To authorize unused space existing on rooftops around the city. We are talking about specifically on corporations rooftop and to convert this empty space 
to a green area environment. We took into account to make this idea uh, a reality and to make it practical all the factors that play a role here. We have the government, the social aspect and the cooperation itself. Uh, with the government position here, how it can support this initiative, they can give support and a tax credit for the cooperation that create the green garden on the rooftops. If we look at the uh, social aspect, our idea was that the employees of that corporation going to be a key point here as well and they're going to have a crucial and important part here our suggestion is that the employees of the corporation gonna volunteer in creating this green uh, green garden and by doing so they're contributing themselves to motivational and uh, decrease uh, stress level and uh, they feeling belong to something and they contribute to the company itself because there are research that shows that when an employee is motivated the productivity is higher because when we thought about this we said uh, to create this green area on the roof of the corporation need to have some benefits they need to have something to encourage them uh, to participate in this projects reputation for the corporation the motivation of the employee which will affect positively the company and uh, reduce expenses because uh, they're going to be consuming less energy so our proposition for the EU is to make a regulation a EU law that's going to be applied to all the member states around the EU to encourage cooperation to build a green garden on the rooftop well everything seems impossible until it's done i'm sure you'll manage best of luck and thank you so much for being with us on citizen central yeah sure thank you very much now, green rooftops are extremely popular, but there's much more to them than just putting a couple of plants on your roof. So that's why we're off now to the Czech Republic to meet Pavel Dostal, the Vice President of the European Federation of Green Rooftops. Pavel, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. So Pavel, first up, tell us how you ended up being a specialist in rooftop gardens. It was originally uh, my mom's expertise because she uh, used to represent uh, a German company in the Czech Republic focusing on greener systems. I was kind of peeking over her shoulders and looking at what she's doing. It seems something that makes a positive difference. So I, I was interested in what she was doing. After some years, we thought of continuing the way and uh, founded our family business, uh, Greenville. That's how I ended up doing Green Roofs. So I'm trying to, you know, connect the Czech environment with the foreign trends and the foreign knowledge and, you know, bring something in the Czech Republic. Really? Hey, that is such a nice story. Garden rooftops obviously bring a lot of benefits to people. What are the most important ones for you? The benefits are most manifested in the summer when you have a need to cool down the environment under the roof. And that's when green roof actually evaporates water, cools down the environment. Therefore, the building structure does not overheat so much. And in winter, it can also help you with, with uh, thermal insulation as well. But for our well-being, it's proven by studies even that we, uh, we focus better when we uh, spend some time in the greenery or look at it even. We're beginning to realize that nature actually has more meaning and more value for ourselves than we have thought of. But I imagine gardening a roof is very different when it's in a new built. 
or an existing roof? So with new builds, it's generally easier. With existing buildings, it's more complicated and you have to dig a little bit deeper. First of all, you have to find out more about the building structure. If the structure is strong enough, if it has enough load bearing capacity to hold the green roof. The second would be the quality of the waterproofing. Sometimes on existing buildings, the waterproofing is already behind its lifespan and needs to be replaced. And that's the perfect moment to install a green roof. And how do you think Europe could look if this ECI was successful? Europe with all company rooftop screen would be a really nice place to work. It would be <laughs> would be really attractive. Yeah, so it's it's a good idea. Life-changing for a lot of people. <laughs> Shall we link you up then to Almag and her brother? Absolutely do. I think that's, that's a good approach to start at a grassroots level, start where the demand is, and then get in touch with people who understand what it's all about. You know, some landscapers, structural engineers. If you put together a, a group which is diverse and fills in all the, all the expert fields needed, then it's the best. Seldom happens. And Pavel, if you were given the choice anywhere in Europe, where would you like to set up a green garden rooftop? Certainly, yeah, we, should, we should do something on the rooftop of the commission. <laughs> yeah, we should be the first ones to lead the way. Yeah, why don't they have a, maybe they do have a rooftop garden. I don't know, I haven't been to the commission yet. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. Thank you so much as well. It was my pleasure to talk with you. Now, sometimes an ECI can be a success, even if it doesn't reach the one million signatures. It's about putting a topic out there that can feel like a success. And that's where Martina Helmeyer comes in. Martina, lovely to have you here on Citizen Central. Thanks so much. First of all, Martina, would you like to just tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your ECI, Grow Scientific Progress, Crops Matter? I started this initiative together with um, six other students from Wageningen University two years ago. And, um, you know, all of our of our group, including me, were students back then. And we were studying in the fields of biotechnology, food safety, agroecology, agronomics, etc. And uh, the initiative basically focuses on an issue that was very dear to our heart. And to give you a bit of a context, our initiative focuses on the legislation on genetically modified organisms in the European Union. And this legislation is already 20 years old. Three years ago, there, there was a question uh, that was brought in front of the European Court of Justice that, you know, concerned itself with some new technologies of genetic modifications that resembled very natural processes. And um, it became very clear from this ruling to us that this legislation was not up to date or not allowing progress uh, that has actually a lot of potential to solve some of the main issues uh, in agriculture sustainability. Just remind our listeners about these newer technologies that you're promoting, the CRISPR method and the genetic scissors, mm -hmm. what exactly they are, and how do you mm -hmm. think that they could change agriculture? These methodologies have been developed in the past 10 years, let's say. They, they have been also promoted as one of the, you know, one of the breakthroughs of the past century or of humanity uh, overall, because what these tools do, uh, especially CRISPR-Cas, those are um, technologies that can very, very targetedly alter the genetic material in a way that resembles natural processes in the plant. Nowadays, we understand very well where these changes in the so-called phenotypes, so how this plant looks like and what properties it has. We also understand how the genetic code and, and the traits um, are connected. 
And uh, with the discovery of a tool which can now cut like a scissor, uh, the genetic material in the genome that, uh, that you know has a certain effect, that can then help very, very much in, uh, improving the, the traits and the characteristics of that plant. And this is extremely important, especially now that we face uh, through climate change so many very rapidly changing climatic conditions that um, plants really need to be adapted. And in order to, to meet the nutritional needs of a growing population, and we are convinced that uh, genome editing in agriculture is one of the tools and to help make crops more resilient and also more sustainable. And I think it's an enormous potential that should be regulated in a very smart way. And if the EU misses out on making them available to farmers, then there's a, a huge potential that also goes to waste if this is not exploited. And how did you find out about the ECI? Some of our courses at university included European politics. So that's how we heard it. Quite a quite a nice tool to participate in, you know, in policy making as just a regular um, EU citizen. And what's that journey been like being involved in this process, this ECI initiative? Definitely a very interesting journey. <laughs> it has, I think, helped us learn quite a lot. You know, from the very beginning, we were very much supported by the Commission services. And I guess what we underestimated a bit was that it would probably take quite a, a lot of people working full time on an initiative and promoting it to actually creating the outreach. But of course, we did what we could. We participated in, you know, a lot of events that focused around science communication for the general public. Public, but also in other events where policymakers were present. But what was one of the most rewarding experiences is, of course, to ensure that this topic is not, you know, left unheard or is just depicted in a very um, unbalanced way, I guess. But I think the most important point was that we actually see now that um, our Citizens Initiative has also contributed to the debate. Some of our arguments have been taken up by more recent developments. Okay, Martina, thank you so much. It was so fascinating to talk to you today on Citizen Central and hear all about your ECI initiative. Thank you so much for the opportunity and it was a wonderful conversation. Thanks for that. That brings this edition of Citizen Central to an end. Thank you so much to all our guests and of course to you for listening. And if you fancy finding out a little bit more about any of these ECIs, do check out our show notes. And you can also take a look at the ECI website or follow the ECI's individual social media channels. And of course, if you want to propose a brand new ECI, you can head over to the ECI forum to learn more about how to get started. I'm Maeve McMahon. And you've been listening to Citizen Central.